0: Welcome everyone to episode 50, the big 5-0 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily show from baseball perspectives. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the baron of all baseball podcasts. This week, I am proud to welcome back to the show two of uh, my favorite writers at Banished to the Pen and... uh, Two of my favorite contributors at the site. Uh I've got Julian Asseline with me. And if I mispronounced your name, I am apologetic. And I've got Tim Livingston. Uh Tim and Julian, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Ryan. Yep. Thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: All right, Julian, first and foremost, how'd I do on the name?
1: Uh that's okay. It's good. It's a French name, so it's uh I think it's really hard. Like the only I can't even say it in English. I only really <laughs> say it in French. So it's it's a difficult name to say, I'll say. But you did a good job, Ryan.
0: <laughs> well, let's start where we start every week and introduce our, uh, ourselves to the audience. And I guess that might give us a good place for Julian to start to pronounce his last name
1: properly.
0: <laughs> and uh, where they can find your work, where they can find you on Twitter, who you're a fan of, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So uh, you can find me uh, not very regularly at Banish the Pen, but more regularly at BP Milwaukee, where I, I write probably once or twice a week, or also I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Julian Assouline. Very cool.
0: You're uh, definitely one of, if not my favorite writers, uh, at BP right now, and definitely at BP Milwaukee. And you guys have got a really good staff going on up there right now.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks.
0: Uh, Tim, same question. Introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Yeah, I am – the uh, director of broadcasting and media relations for the sonoma stompers uh, this is me i've been there since the beginning with the team and of course the book on last year's team uh, that ben and sam wrote sam and ben i will always want to get both of them in there because of the preferences everybody has uh the only rule it has to work is out in a month it comes out may 3rd i'm pretty sure that if you're listening to this podcast you have already pre-ordered it but just in case you haven't it's out there on amazon so um personally i am on twitter at mr tim livingston so just mr tim livingston and um i right now i'm 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 not running too much i i've been busy trying to get ready for my grad school stuff that starts in july but um outside of that i'll be with the stompers in the next month or so so, so you know Stompersbaseball.com if you guys still want to follow the team on the aftermath after what ben and sam were able to bring to to the team and uh i'll probably be pitching in at some point with uh the, the guys over at uh, banish to the pen on some stompers related stuff and, and maybe some other things if uh, if they come to mind so may watch out watch out for that
0: well i've got two questions for you first we got to have you back when the book is published so we can talk about the book a little more but first yeah sure um did you ever see ben eat a burrito no i did did not and did you get a free copy of the book yet
2: no, um, I, I have probably. not. I, I, that's a no on both, unfortunately. But uh, uh, actually, the what was really interesting is, and I th- and I think I told Ken this was uh, when I saw that the Limburg burrito eating method made it into the uh, bracket for uh, the March Madness tournament. There, it was. It was. I told him that I would be pushing as hard and as far as I can for that to go as deep into the bracket as possible, because um, I actually saw one of the players because I told him about the Limburg burrito eating method, eat a burrito that way, and I saw him do it, and he actually was like, you know what, this isn't a bad way to eat a burrito, and so like there's like, there's actual evidence, like empirical evidence that states that maybe Ben ha- is onto something here with this, with the the burrito eating method that he has originated um, but uh, but yeah, you know, we I was actually meeting with Theo Fightmaster, our general manager yesterday, and we had a good discussion about the book, and and we're excited to see it come out and and uh you know we've we've been talking with sam and ben about you know what they've been wanting to add to it i'm helping out with something uh a video for the championship game so we're just we're, we're very excited about the what the book is going to bring out and we're really excited to see what all you guys think of of reading about the saga of them joining our team and uh, and what they help bring to the organization and Uh, it's, it's, there's some really cool stuff in there. I think that you guys are going to be very impressed and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing how they tell what's, what really was a tremendous story. It's not just, you know, you know, fairy tale or Hollywood or whatever you want to call it, but, um, it's, it's, it's a story that, it was definitely uh, book worthy, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it when it comes out. That's that's about the most I can say because I haven't seen the finished copy, but I've obviously they've obviously been talking to them because they've been, you know, using stuff the Stompers have done and and stuff like that for the book. But uh, I'm very excited to see what uh, what the final uh, you know the final exhibit of last season looks like.
0: And um, how long have you been with the Stompers? Because I I've, I just want to ask, kind of, what the uh, what the difference is between pre Ben and Sam, and and what their impact has been on kind of the Stompers. Have they brought a lot of attention? And, and maybe this is a tough question to answer. Maybe it'll be a better question to answer this summer. But kind of, have you seen a difference between pre Ben and Sam in this project, and then post in terms of you know fan support, fan you know downloads and page views and all that good stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely got a boost, uh, especially merchandise wise from, uh, everybody buying Stomper shirts and hats and and whatnot. Uh, there's been some great stories about people wearing Stomper shirts and meet and like finding each other out, out there in the world and, and realizing that they both are effectively Wad listeners is that, that great Disneyland post from a few months back that I thought was really cool. Um, so we definitely have had that as far as like within the organization, we, um, you know we. We we will be able to keep some of the things that uh, they brought to the team as far as from an analytics background. Uh, we're gonna be hiring. You know, we had the job posting about uh, a baseball operations intern slash scouting uh, play. You know, intern that. Would uh, help us out and uh, we have that in motion right now for for a few you know a few people we we've been talking with so uh you know we there's definitely been some things on the organizational side that we've wanted to add um but it is still kind of (laughs) it's independent baseball and so we're we're kind of in a spot where it's like whatever help we can get we love it uh but at the same time you know when the book comes out uh it has a you know I think it has a chance to reach a wider audience and I think there'll be people who are interested to, to kind of see what the Stompers are and you know if they come to San Francisco for like a vacation or they, they come out during the summer to you know, visit family and they want to run up to Sonoma for a game you know we we definitely are going to be open to to having people uh, here and and we you know we're gonna try and do some events around the book. Obviously, it's a big deal. We're we're gonna have you know some some Q and A sessions and whatnot. And there's a couple of places around Sonoma that we we want to have. But uh, we're hoping that. You know the book is great for Ben and Sam, and and therefore you know great for us, and you know gets our name out there and 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 keeps us going as far as uh, independent baseball is concerned, which is a niche within a niche. You know, so uh, it's but it's it's fun. It's 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 really been the last you we know, were talking about last night is like already what we've expected. You know from the book has been more than we've thought, and we're really excited to see uh, what, what what brings everybody in. Uh, to, to read it after they've seen it, if there's you know, going to be more people coming to the games, you know, stuff like that. So uh, we're excited. We really are. And we, we couldn't be happier with uh, with everything that's happened.
0: Well, I want a Sonoma Stompers periscope of somebody eating a burrito like ben Lindberg, <laughs> because I just don't believe this can happen. I tried well, it. I tried it for three bites and it just did not work
2: the player who the player who did it is back this year we're we're hoping it was just gonna be back this year and if that's the case uh i might have to take a video and uh with his permission of course and uh and post it for everybody to see so we'll uh, we'll see what happens
0: all right very cool tim uh let's uh, i want to transition off that if i can here and the topic of kind of the best or who are your favorite uh baseball announcers We've seen this kind of, uh, I think we all grew up pretty much listening to our hometown person because that's the way the internet and technology worked. And now all of a sudden you can listen to any announcer or any broadcast of any game that you want to with you know the internet and a couple of clicks of the button. So, uh, uh, Tim, I know you do a lot of broadcasting, and, and I'd like to start with you. Just, um, I guess maybe even a general question to start is just what do you think makes a good you know, kind of play-by-play guy versus what makes somebody maybe a little more mediocre, so to speak.
2: Um, the and I and I learned this kind of really early on is that it's it's you're filling in the gaps. You're not trying to speak over the game. You're trying to um, uh, you know kind of push up the game you're not trying to uh you, you're not someone who's just trying to you know get your words out there and talk 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 you're you're really putting something into the game that uh, regardless of if, if it's on the tv or the radio side adds something to it you're not trying to just uh you know just just talk over the game uh and i and i feel that the best guys um know when to to tell stories know when to bring up things relevant and and make them entertaining and and, and that's kind of it, i think it nowadays is more rare than it used to be because back in the earlier days of broadcasting these guys were always great storytellers you know you know and we're talking about the hall of famers the harwells the spin scullies and you know and 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 so on and it's 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 interesting now. I think there are some guys that can tell good stories. I mean, John Miller is still around. Uh, you know, Julian knows Bob Eucher, so it's like, and I think that those guys they're they're entertaining, but they also don't try make it too. Much. Just know they know the best ways of adding something to the game. So uh, that's kind of my baseline is that they they know how to add into the game uh, without. You know, just uh, with, without feeling they have to talk over what's making the game exciting, they can get in and get out with with these really neat stories.
0: Yeah, who did you guys grow up listening to uh, on the radio doing games? Because I grew up listening to John Miller, as you mentioned. You know, listening to Orioles games.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: as a kid, and God, he was so good. And when we lost him, that was a real shame. And God, he was just such like you say, he was a storyteller, but he just had such a brilliant voice and. He knew when to be quiet and let the crowd react. He knew when to talk. It was, he was just outstanding. Who did you guys listen to? Julian, uh, uh, you know, and and Tim.
1: Um, I grew up, well, I grew up mostly a Red Sox fan. So um, I'd listen to a lot of, uh, well, I guess Don Arsillo and uh, Jeremy Remy. I mean, those are, (laughs) I guess, the big two that I listened to. Um, We're also Yankee. I mean, because I watched, um, I guess early on in my fandom, I mostly watched Red Sox games, so I listened to Yankees games. I guess the second most, which would be I guess, so Michael K. Um, I guess uh, yeah, that's and and for the and some of the Blue Jays broadcast crew, but really, um, it's I guess I have a hard time I guess knowing what a good broadcaster makes, but. Um, i was i mean tim maybe you can answer this question but how do you guys i guess because there's like an influx of numbers now and how do you guys i guess manage yeah like the numbers with at the same time i guess telling a story or um filling in the gaps or something
2: yeah and i I remember having discussions with um, with Sam about this um, especially because he's obviously a connoisseur of, of radio broadcasts and because I told him I was like well like I asked him I was like you know we'll, you know we'll, and, in you know Sam fashion's like you're doing fine don't worry about it you know he really was like and and it really for me I think the feedback I always wanted to hear is when they introduced a new stat is it' something that went over people's head and I made very much certain that if it was something that wasn't commonplace, like, I think OPS is now commonplace. You see it every, almost every TV game, someone's got OPS up there. And I think that that's a, that's a great thing that, uh, you know, even in wars, I think almost there too. But like, you know, I talked about WRC plus and I talked about, um, FIP and, and stuff like that during the broadcast. Uh, and I, and I made sure to let people know that, uh, you know, I, you know WRC plus is a percentage based you know you know stat where if you're 100% is average this person at a 170 WRC plus is 70% better than average that makes him a very very good player and that that that, that type of stuff like i made sure that they understood the um levity of those stats and i think that's the most important thing with these new stats is saying like these are advanced stats that tell you just how much better this player is or how you know below average this player is compared to what you would expect a regular ball player to be so um i think that's the most important part is just throwing something in there like i've heard john miller do this uh in in giants games i've heard dave fleming do this really well in giants games uh, where they talk about some of the stats, they talk about UZR. they talk about the defensive stats, and they basically don't go into details, but they say that so and so rated really highly in the defensive metrics, or so you know. And I feel that we didn't get a chance to do too much de- defensive metrics with the Stompers, but we could tell who was very good defensively, and so you uh, know, it was it was fun to 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 kind of get those into the broadcast. But I I do understand like broadcasters talking about how difficult it is to, to make that happen. And uh, and uh, and really, they they know because I think they they're stat heads like every one of us. You know, they want to get that information out. Like, uh, is great at that. He's he's really good at that on the ESPN broadcast. Um, you know, Carl Rabish is pretty good at that, that too. And it's like, you know, these guys really do a lot to try and add to the game without you know talking over but everybody's head so to speak. And so it's a difficult process, though. You really do have to kind of toe a fine line
0: and maybe you can answer this for me as well but how does the sophistication or the intelligence is not the word i want to use but the baseball intelligence of a radio listener compared to like the average fan is the radio listener a smarter baseball fan?
2: No, I, I don't think so. I think that it's – it's. I don't know if it's the opposite even. I, th- I think it's just kind of – it's selectivity-based. Like I think there's a lot of people who want to watch the, the TV broadcast because they want to almost kind of confirm what they're seeing in a lot of ways. Radio is, is interesting because I think it's a different – it's a medium that – lends itself more to those who enjoy stories being heard or um, are more kind of creative and like to kind of see the the, uh, the game through the the eyes of somebody else watching it and I think that I don't know if that makes someone more intelligent necessarily, but I think it's a completely different perspective than what people want in a baseball game, Um, which was really interesting for me because all I did was radio broadcasts last year. I didn't have a video broadcast. We're going to have a couple this year, but um, you know, that's, that's a completely different thing. And and you, you know, you have to kind of let the pictures do the, the talking to an extent, But I am, I am, I love radio because you can get more information, I think, out of a radio broadcast. But now, in the last couple of years with StatCast, you know, becoming prominent, I think that that's going to change. I think you're going to see, you know, the way that MLB wants to integrate StatCast into its games. I think that's really going to make that experience. Uh, pretty incredible and I'm I'm really excited to see what they do with that because especially the, the player tracking, um, you know, the spin rate stuff and uh, you know, the you know, velocity, exit velocity, all this stuff that is really now integral to how uh, players perceive talent. I think it's, that's all going to really change in the next couple of years, how people want to watch baseball broadcasts, And I think that's going to really, uh, make a a huge impact on how people want to enjoy their games.
0: Yeah. And I don't think that's some of that stuff is stuff that you just can't translate. It comes up on TV and you can show a UZR, you know, range or how far they can cover in the outfield, but to try to explain it to the audience would be nearly impossible. Right. Julian, yeah. any, anything else?
1: Um, yeah, actually, I was wondering, um, how do you judge? I guess if a stat, like, how do you, yeah, I guess how do you judge how if a stat is like, I guess, commonplace? Like, um, for example, I think on base percentage is kind of it's almost right. like intuitive, but something mm-hmm. like WAR, which is so, I mean, it has like so many variables. Do you guys get like emails or something? I don't know. Like, how do you, yeah, how do you how do you judge if a stat is like in the mainstream or in the know? Um, It's it's kind of a
2: trickle-down effect. I think what happens is the big guys, your ESPNs, your MLB networks, uh, I think that they decide, almost for everybody in a sense, like – Oh, you know, if we're gonna put. You know, they've decided to put OPS on their broadcasts a few years ago, and that's now one of the prominent things they put up on the lower third when a batter comes to the plate. Uh, they put WHIP up on for pitchers, for example. Um, I I think I can't remember, but I I think they're trying to introduce um wins above replacement as something that they'll put up there at some point. But um, I do know that they're doing it for, like, uh, not when they're actually coming into the play, but if they're doing, like, leaderboard-type stats and stuff like that, I know they're doing that. So, you know, I think OPS is commonplace now. I, and I say that just because I think that people can – under people didn't understand slugging percentage as well because of the weights, but OPS – like they know that if you have a big OPS, that's kind of like, that's the great thing. And so that's kind of a little bit easier for, for people to get. And I hear OPS on broadcast, like John Miller says OPS every time someone comes to the plate. And, and so that's, 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 a, that's something for me that like, if I'm hearing John Miller say it, it's like, well, I think that I should be able to say that in my broadcast too. And so it is, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a production trickle-down effect. I think that if I really wanted to, I could have gotten completely obtuse to the point where I could have been speaking only in the st- the stats that I like. And I think I would have made a terrible broadcast out of it. And I think that maybe 10 people would have found it exciting. Um but it is it is something that people just kind of have to to kind of figure out that balance, like I talked about. I think that there's 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 going to come a time where it's easier for people to use stats, but uh, I'm I'm interested to kind of see. Now that StatCast is available and MLB has just embraced it so much like their broadcast their StatCast broadcasts last year were tremendous. I love true. those things. Very and true. I really I mean, I'm interested to see what they do with them this year, because I think that now that there's been a year to mess with the data, I think that they can really, you know, from a TV production standpoint, add mm-hmm. a lot to it and and really make it immersive for, for, for the viewer, and I think that that's a, a great step forward. So I think that as far as radio broadcasts go, I think OPS is great to talk about. Of course, if you're listening to a Stompers broadcast, I'll be talking, you know, WRC Plus and FIP and, and you know, maybe if we can get DRA going for us, that would be great, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but I think, I think we'll be really talking about uh, some – you know some some the advanced stuff. I always try and do that. So, uh, I th- I think it uh, I think it also varies on the team too. I think you know if you got the Rays or some of the other statistically inclined teams that, you know they're they're going to be immersed in that anyway because they're talking with these guys and that's what they're you know discussing. So uh, I think you're going to get that more from those teams.
0: But as a fan, I would just I think the key is explaining what the stat means rather than right. like how you actually get. To you know how the sausage is made, so to speak, it's like you said, what's a 170 WRC plus mean? Well, it means that guy's 70% better than league average. Like, guys can understand that, but trying to explain how you actually get to the number is when you would lose (laughs) everybody. (laughs) So, but I do think there's something to be said for if you can. I mean, war is a difficult thing to total, but if you can say, hey, a league average player is a two war player and this guy's four. People can intuitively understand, oh, that guy should be about twice as better or twice as good as that guy. I mean, right. I think that's where it's almost shorthand is where we
2: can help people understand the game quicker. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm trying to do. So the best... The- the best shorthand you know it's just like anything else if there's an advanced subject that you have to describe to somebody who's not maybe privy to the same information or doesn't understand the information as well it's how do you put it in the terms that they can understand and the good broadcasters know how to do that and so you'll hear it you're like if you know stats you'll hear it in broadcast you'll hear them talk For about it. something it was like oh that sounds like yeah that sounds like UZR or that sounds like FIP or that sounds like you know BABIP or that sounds like you know you know the uh, wins above replacement stuff like that. So, so Tim, who is your favorite
0: uh, announcer before we get out of here? Because I think uh, I want to give a small shout out. I did to John Miller, but uh, Charlie Slows, who does uh, the Nationals games, is yeah. outstanding. He's yeah, I've very, heard. Very I've good. heard great things about
2: Charlie. Um, he's so. an even
0: better guy than an announcer, but he's fantastic. And his tag team partner Dave Jagler is. Yeah. He's very good. I mean, no jobs turnover in this business, but he could definitely be the head guy. Anywhere he wanted to be, he's tremendous.
2: Yeah, and the John Miller is someone that um, I've, I've kind of idolized. It's kind of interesting that he's he's a Bay Area guy. He has already wanted to come back to San Francisco if he had the opportunity, and it presented itself. And you know, now he gets to retire. You know, you know, broadcasting for the team he grew up loving. uh And then one of the things that I love about him is that he does tell great. Going to Candlepick, Candlestick Park stories back when he was you know in the fifties and sixties when he saw Mays and McCovey and and you know it, it's it's really incredible the type of memory he has so um, I mean we're kind of spoiled out here with the Giants announcers crook and are great Dave Fleming's great um, you know there's there's really there's really great you know semblance of announcers but you know I've I've loved Bob Uecker I love Ben Scully I love uh you know Ernie Harwell was tremendous and I don't think m- many people talk about him you know the great Tigers announcer um I, I there's there's a lot of guys out there that i really enjoy i love Boog i think he's kind of underutilized by ESPN um because he's he doesn't have some of the other guys um you know uh, gravitas in a lot of ways, but I'll listen to Buchiambi talk about anything baseball related ever. I think he's tremendous at it. Um, so those those guys I love, and I'm totally I like. I got a chance. I turned on the radio yesterday, and uh, without knowing who does when spring training games, there there's John and Dave talking <laughs> Giants baseball, and I was just I couldn't I couldn't turn away. It was tremendous to listen to. So um, very happy that baseball's back.
0: Julian any anything else on the subject?
1: Uh no, I think Tim covered it pretty well. Yeah, I'm just waiting
0: for the day that Jim Ross is going to be doing play-by-play. That's all <laughs> I want in my life.
1: That pits the
2: Pittsburgh Pirates. I heard they about bringing him in. That would have been incredible.
0: I would listen to JR read the phone book, I swear to god, so.
2: Yeah.
0: But uh All right, I think that was a great uh great talking uh broadcaster. So, uh let's talk a little bit. Let's transition if we can and I want to talk a little bit of the uh Maybe the two biggest news subjects that are going on ahead of opening day, which maybe today or yesterday, depending on when everybody's listening to this. Uh, first place I want to start is the A.J. Pollock injury uh, in Arizona. I actually didn't see the injury. I didn't see the play occur, but uh, fractured right elbow, if I have it correct. Maybe he's back sometime this year. Maybe he's not. Uh, where does this leave an Arizona team that was – you know, some people's sleeper pick, I don't, sleeper may not be the right word, but a lot of people's pick in the NL West. Uh, let me start with Julian, maybe.
1: Um, yeah, well, I had them, like, just in my head. I just had them, like, at a third round. I didn't picture them being as good as the Dodgers, even though with their pitching injuries or the Giants, quite yet. And I think this really, like, this really sets them back, like, big time. Uh, it's not a, like, a particularly deep team, Um um yeah, I mean it's if he's out for the entire season, which is kind of what I'm hearing pretty much. Um it's going to prove pretty costly, especially since I mean they made the big um uh, trade for Shelby Miller. And with that they sent Ender Inciarte and, yeah. and Ender Inciarte and is a pretty it's a pretty darn good outfielder. And now I mean I just don't really see how they're going to make the playoffs without one of their best players. I mean, I I I guess we're not, we're not talking about like, for example, uh, a third or um, second best outfielder on the team. This is like literally the second best player on the team right after Paul Goldschmidt. So I, uh, I mean, it's going to be a big blow. Um, I mean, and Yosmani Tomas was just awful last year. Uh, basically he's just striking out way too much and uh he's he was a disaster last year last year in the outfield and i just really he's gonna have to step it up if they want to have a chance but i i mean it's kind of a weird team construction thing where like they have this these like superstars in paul Goldschmidt, aj pollock and then they have they've added a lot more depth this year and i guess they're more they're more well-rounded but they're not a very deep team and i think this is going to really i guess hurt them big time
0: i mean pollock is one of the maybe the best player nobody talks about in baseball right now i mean this is a five or six win player and going from him to chris owings in center field is going to be i mean like you said that could be a five win difference on this team this season i uh, what do you uh, you know i'll tag you in tim i don't know uh, you, maybe you have a better perspective being on the west coast but th- that's almost a damning effect to that team to me
2: yeah they're talking also about perhaps getting so so uh, socrates brito in it and uh, i i think that
0: and he has some talent and
2: he, he's you know he's yeah. unknown and, and i think that they'd rather go with owings for the known reason because they have more shortstops that can step in behind him uh, you know they got Segura and 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 such. So, my my problem with with this for the Diamondbacks is that, you know, I, I think that I, this is an injury now that you have to really question what this means for Pollock's future because it's the second time this injury has happened. There's this was a growth plate injury in the minor leagues, um, and you know. People he was having issues with it, although it was kind of just general soreness. And then this happens, and so uh, I, I'm I'm kind of you know interested to see what the 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 Diamondbacks think of this going forward. Because I mean this is this is an, an interest. It's a weird injury. It's an I mean you're fracturing your elbow. It's kind of like fracturing an ankle. Anytime you fracture a joint, there's kind of something weird to it. Um, and I, I'm not exactly sure what this means for Pollock's future, but. Now the Diamondbacks lose a guy who's a 6-1 player, maybe a 7 win player, um, and all of a sudden this window that I think everybody kind of sees for them before they have to pay Paul Goldschmidt gobs and gobs of money if they want to keep him is a year shorter because you're not going to be able to go out there and add six wins in this market right now. One guy that I think that you might see Dave Stewart make a move for is Rusny Castillo. And mm-hmm. I think that... If they want to make the move, I think they have to do it quickly. And I think they're doing that both with the long and short term uh, in mind. The one thing, though, is as you just brought it up, Julian, is that they have Yasmani Tomas. And he's at the same length of contract as Castillo is going forward. And they have to figure out if they do want to make that trade because he's the he's the best fit right now is okay, so now you have a guy in Castillo who as soon as Paul gets back next year, you're not sure if you're gonna slot him in left field next year. But then you have Tomas who can't play third base. You like Jake Lamb there, and he's not that great defensively in the outfield. It's like do you just punt on Tomas just like the the Dodgers did with Hector Oliveira? There's there's a lot of questions here, but it seems like there's a fit with Castillo and they're they're I'm sure they're you know, going through all the you know the, the scenarios in their head about what this means, and you know whether Pollock can come back and be the player he was after this type of injury. And,
0: and to build off that point that you were making and alluding to is where does this leave the franchise? Because they put all their chips in to go make this trade this winter to get uh, Shelby Miller. They gave up their top pick overall, Dansby Swanson. They gave up NC Arte, who's a hell of a player. You know, Aaron Blair is a top prospect. I mean, a very good prospect and now it looks like they're staring 81 wins dead in the face is this going to be one of those things where you know we padded Arizona on the back so to speak for being aggressive and then it's going to blow up in their face before it even gets a chance to have the experiment start so to speak
1: um yeah i mean i think this is like one of the worst case scenarios that could have like happened with the team it's the um, worst
0: it's the second worst player they could lose maybe behind yeah, goldschmidt
1: yeah but i mean aside from paul goldschmidt this is like this is really devastating because, basically, it seems like uh, the way, I guess, the front office was uh, seeing the franchise was, um, hey, we have these two really great superstars, and now that we've signed Zach, now that we signed uh, Zach Greinke, we're gonna really go for it, and uh, they made this huge trade and giving, I mean. You could probably speak about their farm system better than I can, Ryan, but it seems like it's pretty depleted at this point. Um, they, I mean, they saw have uh, Archie Bradley, but I mean, after his injury history, I don't know. I right. mean, again, you can probably speak to it better than I can, but I don't really um, know if he's going to be that top end starter, uh, like. we all thought he would be a few years ago. And it's interesting because right now, I mean, there aren't really a lot of options. If your best secondary option is Ruzny Castillo, who's just really hitting the ball on the ground, uh, Mm -hmm. he never walks, he doesn't really hit for a lot of power. He's a good defender um, by everything, I mean, by the defensive metrics, and just kind of like from what uh, scouts have been saying. But if you're just hitting the ball on the ground with no power and uh, you're striking out at a pretty decent rate, I mean, that I don't see... I mean, that's a pretty mediocre baseball player. And Chris Owens was... That's one of you, another one of your options. I mean, Chris Owens was, like, negative 1.4 war last year. <laughs> uh, well, F4 last year. So, I mean, if that's one of your options, now you have two players who are. Negative one wars. In Yasmani Tomas and Chris Owings. So I don't know. This is this is pretty it would be a huge shift of like that's like a seven war shifts. Yeah. I mean you don't really get much higher than that. That's I don't know. This this really hurts the franchise.
0: And and Julian, if I remember right, I think you're a poker player. I mean it feels like this team is now pot committed with what they did in the off season, and then they just got a four on the river, so to speak. I mean, how do you you can't give up on this season now? I mean, and we've kind of alluded to it with the Rosny Castillo option. And don't they have to go make a deal? I, I mean, they're so pot committed at this point. Don't they have to go? I don't know. Call about Jay Bruce in Cincinnati or. Rosny Castillo, or you know, name one of the eight teams that is tanking in the NL. I mean, don't they have to go make a deal?
1: Um, I don't, yeah, I guess so. But ben, where do you make a deal point. on
0: opening day? I mean, we're we're literally at opening day. I mean, it's tough to make a deal now. I mean, I, I.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is like the hardest part. Is that normally a lot of these deals will happen like in the winter or during in July? But like now, it's like, hey, teams are set pretty yeah. much. I mean. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can hope for is that, like, someone kind of, like, comes out of nowhere and really starts performing well. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't really see someone like that in their farm system that's just going to come up and just tear the cover off the ball. Again, Ryan, I mean, if there is someone.
0: I mean, I
1: like <laughs> I like Brito a lot, but he's not that guy. I mean, you can't replace a
0: six-win player. I mean, that, that, that in there, I mean, that doesn't yeah. happen.
1: And, I mean, they made their big trade. I mean, they already traded yeah. for Shelby Miller. They, like, depleted their farm system because of that. Yeah. I mean, they've traded yeah.
0: their last three first-round picks. I mean, they don't have a lot of depth there left. Like you say, Archie Bradley's still there, and, and they've got a couple – Jake Lamb, if they wanted to part with him, although he's their third baseman in the future, it seems like. I mean
1: – Yeah, I mean, maybe you trade Archie Bradley, convince the team that he's still, I don't know, top-over-the-rotation starter. and um, But
0: he's had arm problems now for three years. I mean, that's – it's starting to fall into the Hunter Harvey and the Dylan
1: Bundy profile a little bit. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, I don't. I, uh, I don't. Know. Maybe if they if they want to trade for Ryan Braun, I mean, <laughs> give up a few prospects for him. I don't know. But apart from that, I mean, I it just, could
0: take on the money.
1: I don't hate it, that idea.
0: To be honest with you, I, I actually that's not a bad idea.
1: I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean drama aside, with <laughs> I said Ryan kind of Ron, Ron, like jokingly, but it's a it's a pretty I don't know. They have all that It money would depend on TV. like if they're willing to take on all the money, the prospects going back. But yeah, and if they took on all the money in Milwa- from Milwaukee, I mean, they might
0: get him relatively cheap.
1: Yeah, yeah, that you know what? Well, yeah, and they I have guess. that
0: TV money that they just signed that big TV contract. And I like that idea a lot more than just kind of you threw it just kind of off the hip. I like that idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess it's. Yeah, I don't know if they would be willing to make that trade. It would depend on the prospects that were coming back. But if, I mean, yeah, it would just, yeah, if they're willing to take on all the money, I think that that's a no-brainer in my eyes. But, you, yeah, you, I don't know if you would hurt the fan base. It'd be an interesting, I guess, an interesting way to see it. All right,
0: I guess the best way to wrap up this topic is just where do we see Arizona finishing this season now? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean they they seem like a 500 team now. That's and and I mean that's how big AJ Pollock's loss is, and it's not just because of him, but of, of who you're putting out there to replace him. Like like Julian said, it's like you're putting sub replacement players out there in center field. Um, you know, I, and and like the other thing too is that they they really don't have the prospects to go out and be trading for. Uh, you know guys like Braun even if they do take on a bunch of money if not all the money it's it's kind of it, you know I don't think the Brewers see it as a salary dump if they want to trade for Ryan Braun they have some pretty smart people in that front office like we've seen this offseason they're not going to just take uh, a salary dump in Braun uh, they want they want something back from because he's still you know a pretty good player I think and I think that's how they're seeing this and so I think you know like like they're not going to give Michael Bourne a shot they're not going to you know go out and trade for uh, jeans. Or sorry, I was going to say Gene Segura, but they're not going to go and trade for Juan Lagarus. <laughs> it's it's like you know they're they're not going to go out there and, and get a guy who's kind of fringe at best. It's like they have to make a big splash somehow. But it's way too early in the season to do it. And they 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 when they do have the ability to make a splash, when people do want to start trading guys, they're going to be behind the Giants and the Dodgers, and they're going to be you know, pretty, you know, as far as the the wild card goes, they'll probably be, you know, pretty far outside the race. And Dave Stewart, because he's Dave Stewart, will probably be trying to make a run, but I don't see it. I just, I I don't see how you're going to be able to get somebody that is going to get you over the hump when, you know, you're already losing a guy that puts you at a handicap of, you know, losing six or seven wins. And that's really hard to bounce back from when you lose that many wins up front like that. That's something that, uh, unless you are very deep and have guys that can slot in, uh, you, you're really not going to find much success there. So I see them as a 500 team right now, and maybe maybe even under that, depending on how bullish you were on the D-backs.
0: Yeah, I'm going 80 and 82 on them right now, and um, I, I don't know. I see them making a foolish trade for like an Alejandro de Aza kind of, kind of deal, which doesn't help them but helps them on the surface. So Julian, thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean... I actually had them like more around five hundred. Uh, now I probably I'll probably have them like I guess a little bit, like I don't know. I think they're probably a little bit under five hundred at this point.
2: So, uh, really quick, I want to see if Pakota has changed anything. Um, right now, Pakota has updated the Dbacks seventy eight and eighty four. Wow. Yeah, That's and that was up. F- that was updated on the 29th. And so this is you know a couple of days ago when the news broke about Pollock, and so they assumed Pollock not being in there, seventy eight and eighty four, right there with the Padres at seventy six and eighty six. So, wow, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty damning right there.
0: Yeah, and gives me a perfect segue. So uh, let me take it. And uh, the other big news in baseball right now is with the Red Sox benching Pablo Sandoval in the second year of I believe a five year contract. Maybe it was a four-year deal. Um, and Travis Shaw's beaten him out. I don't know whether it's a matter of his extreme hefty of a waistline or uh, if Shaw's outplayed him or both. But uh, I, I want to start with the Red Sox fan here, Julian. Just uh, How surprised are you they, made, they pulled the trigger and made this move?
1: Yeah, I was pretty shocked. Um, well, okay, if you asked me before spring training started, this would have been... I would have been like, no way, this is completely shocking. I mean, you kind of heard it coming. Um, I mean, the more, I guess, news started coming out of spring training that Jensan Vol's overweight and his defense is just dreadful and he's not hitting very well. And so at that point, I think after the last two seasons the Red Sox had, they're in the business of just like, hey, we're just going to go out and win. And um, it's I think it's really good that... Uh, um, John Farrell, I think so, what I've heard was that John Farrell was basically he was told to play the best players and I mean, all, normally you want to do that, but there's always money involved and when, whenever there's money involved things get really complicated obviously teams don't always play the best players because they'll play the guys with higher profiles or they'll play guys who make more money because they just just for the look of things, but this is kind of like the sunk cost uh, element of the game, where like, hey, we have this dead money with Pablo Sandoval, we're never going to be able to trade him, uh, so why don't we, at this point, um, just let's just act like that money's basically gone, and now we're just evaluating the two players, and if Travis Shaw just gives them the best chance of winning, then this just makes all the sense in the world. And he looked pretty damn good uh, last year. I mean, he hit 13 home runs in only 65 games, Uh he, I mean he struck out a lot so he'll have to watch that but if he can hit for the same amount of power um he's a pretty good player and you know what at this point right now you don't really have to be that good to be better than Pablo Sadoval, uh yeah. if, especially if he can't play defense anymore which was I mean he was a pretty damn good defensive third baseman when he was with the Giants and right now he doesn't walk he doesn't really hit for power so I mean I don't know yeah, I, this this seems how much, seems like a good move. How much Sorry, of this
0: decision ahead. you think uh, is John Farrell's job? Being uh, that seat being extraordinarily hot, maybe the hottest in baseball right now.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it, actually, I think it has a little bit more something to do with uh, management because apparently uh-huh. management just basically told Farrell to just like play the best players and um, this kind of what I heard. So
0: cuz this feels but. like a move that you would do if the manager felt very secure, he might gamble on Sandoval for 45 games, you know, getting it together and being, you know, mediocre Pablo Sandoval, but with Farrell needing to win this season and probably needing to win early on, I I would think that maybe that led to some of the decision as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um that's probably a big factor too. I think um I think on the Infectively Wild podcast for the Red Sox preview, um, the Red Sox reporters basically said that, like, hey, uh, if Farrell doesn't get off to a really good and early start, then he might be fired. So, um, yeah, if Pablo... like, So, at that point, it's like, the hell with sample size if uh, Travis Shaw's playing better right now and Pablo Sandoval, well, was pretty awful last year, well, you know what? That's, I guess, enough sample size for me to say, hey... Let's let's just go for it with Travis Shaw, and um, he's normally a first baseman. So we'll see how this. Well, normally he's for the past year, uh, last year he basically played first base. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so reports have been good from from him at third base, and if he can hit, then I mean, right now it doesn't really take much to be better than Pablo Sandoval. Yeah. So if he's just like a replacement level player, that might just be worth it.
2: Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tim? Yeah, this is this is an interesting situation simply because you're t- you're basically saying a guy at 29 years old is done. This is this is really right. kind of yeah, odd con- considering considering what the first seven years of his career has been like. You know, the one thing though is, and I think people might forget this is that uh, you know you know Pablo Sandoval did have his ups and downs in San Francisco. Now some of those are injury related. They aren't, you know, playing time related or anything like that or performance related, but um there's definitely been talk about uh you know whether or not he was going ever going to be able to stick a third and uh famously for the Giants uh during one of their runs he got injured stretching at first base for a ball. You know, it's like it's there it, there's there's a lot of questions there about that, but as far as this situation is concerned, I, I think the big question now is how long can they stick with Travis shot third and whether or not they're just going to punt on, on Sandoval as, as, as overall, if, you know, Dombrowski coming in, wanting to clean house, build the team in his image if you know, if Sandoval is not a part of those, those plans, well, who who's going to take on the $75 million contract that's, that's in, in front of them. So, uh the, the the but like i said probably the most interesting thing to me is like this is a guy at 29 with a really big track record and you're saying no to him and yeah. and that's 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 what's kind of odd to me about this uh now the one thing is that you know i feel that he does have the talent to do so but it's it's you know it's not going to be a huge comeback. Like I don't think he's going to come back to what he was before, even at kind of his average with the Giants. But now, if you're the Red Sox and you know you have the ability to eat a contract, uh, you do have to look into you know figuring out ways where maybe you can trade him because I, I don't think you even want to have the option of thinking oh you know maybe we can bring Sandoval off the bench and and Shaw's gonna play his way out or something like that it's like I I think that if you feel that Sandoval's done which a lot of people do you're talking about the worst player in the American League last year I I think that you you have to look at all realms to to try and see if anybody wants to take a flyer on him and I I don't know if that's gonna happen and that's what's kind of You know, sad about this is that the Red Sox, I think, are going to have to endure this this year. I don't think you're going to see it unless it's a kind of the Craig Kimbrell San Diego trade, where, uh, not not the one with the Red Sox, but the one with the Braves, where they send Melvin Upton along with Kimbrell because it's a big bloated contract to see if, you know, the Potters want anything with it. He's going to have to be a throw in in a deal that the Red Sox really want to make. And I think that that's about the best that they can hope for with him. So, uh, It's kind of sad, you know, and I've watched Pablo for six years and he was terrific at points. And, you know, unfortunately, he did have his downturns, but he he definitely had enough on the good side to kind of outweigh the the issues that everybody had weight related or performance related, what have you. But uh, the Red Sox are in, a, you know, it's very interesting. I would say it's not as bad as the A.J. Pollock situation, but it's kind of akin to that because you really don't know what to trade for at this point, what you can get out of him, what teams would be interested in taking him on as kind of a reclamation project. Uh, there, there's a lot of questions here and, and you know, and I think Dave's on, trying to answer them as much as he can.
0: And to take him on now, like I said, yeah. it's one thing to try to take him on in December when you're formulating your payroll and, and your team, but to try to take on $75 million or whatever it would be negotiated at this point is almost impossible. But yeah, it feels and- like a divorce is needed though. I mean, Pablo's obviously not going to be a happy so, a happy camper sitting on the bench making all that money. I mean, it, he's going to be unhappy as he should be. He's 29 years old. He needs to play to get out of this slump or this whatever. I mean, they've mm-hmm. got a bad situation up there and this feels like a divorce is needed, not, you know, just a breakup so to speak.
2: Yeah. And and there's very few teams that kind of that match up with a guy like Pablo Sandoval. I mean the Padres have been you know put, you know putting the discussion because they had a scout go see him famously uh you know a few days ago. Uh what are you willing you know, to
0: take on for him? You know yeah. 15 million of the 75 owed to him. Maybe you gamble?
2: No, you I mean maybe. I think I th- I almost feel like this is th- this is almost an entirety type thing. Like right. I almost feel like Boston has to just take dead money. On him, like I, I that, and that's what's sad about this is that I think you maybe think of him as a veteran minimum type player, like how much, how much yeah. he should make at this point in his career. It's like a base salary type thing, but uh, I mean, they 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 might have to even do more than sixty million to keep to 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 you know to take on than to 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 trade Pablo Sandoval. Like this, this Jeez. might be a very hefty price.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only way I can kind of see them like not taking on like most of the money or all the money is if like they throw in a couple of prospects with Santa yeah. to yeah. like, I guess, especially with a team like the Padres who like or are probably interested right now in like rebuilding their farm system. If you throw in a couple of prospects, maybe you get uh, them to take on more money. But again, like it's a lot of money for a really bad player. Or you're gonna take on somebody just a else's lot of teams horrible
0: who contract like an Andre Ethier or something like that. And yeah, he, right. he has more value, but that's the kind of you would just be making horrible trade or horrible contract for horrible contract.
2: Yeah, but the in do- yeah the Dodgers aren't gonna make that deal either. Right, 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 you know? right. I'm and just so throwing like, out a name. Sure. So, and that's and that's the thing, is like I'm trying to figure out teams that, that like in my head, like that, that might need a third baseman. And third base is actually really good right now in the major leagues. Like there are a lot of teams who are set at third base right now. And um, are, aren't really in need. And the only teams that would really take them on are teams that are really struggling. The Reds need a third baseman. Uh, you know, the Padres need a third baseman. Uh, you know, like those types of teams. And would, those are the be,
0: teams that are rebuilding. They don't want to yeah. take on that money. So
2: yeah, so it's it, it is it is a almost a no win scenario here for the Red Sox. Either they pay a disgruntled guy all that money to sit on the bench you know or the you know or your team's going to take them on and be like okay so we're going to have this black hole of a contract on our books for these years when we're trying to rebuild and you know have as much freedom as we can from a financial standpoint and and that's just not going to happen
0: yeah perfectly well said Uh, i think that might be the the best way to kind of end that uh, topic right there so uh final thing i want to get to this week guys it is opening day depending on when everybody's listening and downloading this so I-, I wanted to see if maybe we could go around the group so to speak and do a bold prediction or two for the season yeah i don't know who wants to start i'll start if you guys need a little time to prepare or, or uh whoever wants to start
1: you. Go ahead, Ryan. I'll- yeah ryan
0: go ahead i'll go ahead and start all right well you guys are thinking it up and getting ready uh, I am going to go with Jonathan Scope for the Orioles. is a breakout player in 2016. I'm predicting an All-Star game performance or uh, appearance, 25 plus home runs, 80 plus ribbies, and he establishes
1: himself as a top five second baseman in baseball. Um, Tim, do you want to go or?
2: <laughs> yeah, I I, th- I think this is the year that Garrett Richards established himself as a true ace. Like, I think that. He's a guy that has a lot of buzz behind him. I think even on an Angels team where everybody's a bit underwhelmed by the offense outside of Mike Trout that, you know, Jared Weaver's throwing 80 miles an hour, you know, so, but Garrett Richards has looked good in spring. He's got a lot of buzz behind him. And I think this is the year where he kind of asserts himself as a top tier pitcher in the American league. And I think that, you know, he's someone that if he, can get that, if the Angels can get that type of performance out of him, that they're going to feel like they can still be in it. And I think that the Angels might make a big move if they're still within striking distance with the American League wildcard race that might finally get Mike Trout some help that he so truly and absolutely deserves in that lineup. And so I think a Garrett Richards great performance to begin the year might actually give the Angels something to, to build upon.
0: I like that. I like that prediction, particularly with Simmons coming over to take over shortstop. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Julian, you're up. Good.
1: I'll go with uh, Jackie Bradley's performance last year was not a fluke. And uh, he's going to be uh, like a five win player, and he's going to make it the All Star game. And he's going to be the best defensive center fielder in baseball, and he's going to win a gold glove. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll, so I'll, all in that. on Jackie I'm, Bradley? I'm high. I'm a little bit high on Jackie on, uh, on Bradley. Um, uh I guess a bold prediction, so I don't like yeah, so that's bold.
0: <laughs> that's plenty bold right there. Yeah. I'm really and I
1: lo- a lot of people want that to happen
2: too. And and I know the Red Sox definitely do, so they can finally feel like they have a short up outfield and uh, and and Jackie can fulfill a lot of the promise that he had a couple years ago. So
1: Yeah, and he's just like one of the funnest players to watch. Like even when even when he wasn't hitting, like watching him defensively is just a yeah. real treat.
2: About to say, him and Mookie are going to cover a lot of ground out there in Fenway this year.
1: Yeah, Statcast—that's going to be really cool to see what Statcast can. Do. I'm very excited about that, actually. So, I've, I do have one more prediction I wanted to get out there, and Go for I, I am—I am bullish uh,
2: along with Pakoda, with the Cleveland Indians. I think Ooh. the Indians have a big year this year, and I think that they finally put everything together. I think Carrasco puts together a Cy Young type season, and I do think that once they get Michael Brantley back, and I think that they're going to give Bradley Zimmer a shot towards midseason because they really do need the help in the center. He's I awesome. think that team. I think that team's really going to put something together.
0: I love Bradley Zimmer. Oh, I've watched him so much in the minors. God, I love Bradley Zimmer.
2: Yeah. So I, I do. I think I think this is the year that the Indians finally take the AL Central. Now I think the Royals will have a good year too. And that's what that's what what I really wanted to emphasize here is that I really do think that this is the year that it actually does finally all come together for the Indians and and uh all the work that was that's been done by Antonelli and, and that great front office and, and you know having uh you know have having Francona lead this team i think it is going to be kind of a perfect storm and i don't know if they'll be the best team in the american league but i think that they're definitely going to be uh, a team that that kind of tries to take that mantle this year so i'm really bullish on the indians
0: all right my uh, next and maybe my final bold prediction is marcel ozuna will lead the florida marlins outfield and home runs this season <sighs>
2: oh you, <wow. laughs>
0: love, you love the barry bonds Tie in. That's why you did that. Huh? I mean, part of it is the fact that I just don't believe Giancarlo will stay healthy. But a major part of it is I, I think that Bonds is going to really have a nice impact on Ozuna. I think Ozuna is an extraordinarily talented player. He's only 25 years old. People forget. Last year, if you just kind of put your finger over it and call it a lost season for whatever happened, it's a guy that hit 20 bombs at 23 in that huge park. The fences have come in a little bit. That offense should be better. I think he could hit 28 to 30 home runs this year and really establish himself. I'm I'm all in on Ozuna this year.
1: Wow. Um, should I go next? You yeah. Should go ahead. Okay. Uh, I guess my, my final bro prediction will be that uh, uh, the Royals will not make the playoffs this year. Ooh. Uh, I don't like the moves that they made this offseason. I really don't like the Ian Kennedy signing. That was maybe my biggest head-scratcher. Actually, no. Uh, it was one of the biggest head scratchers of like the offseason. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see some regression from Hosmer and Mustakis, And I'm not a big fan of their pitching staff either. I don't think they'll be as bad as what Pakura is saying. But I think they'll be more like around 500. And they'll just miss a wild card.
0: I like that. I, I can dig that. <laughs> so... All right, guys. We did our bold predictions. We're ready for opening day. Uh I think it's time to wrap up uh wrap up the show this week. So um we end the show every week the same way we begin it begin it. So say goodbye, guys. Uh Tim, where people can find you on online, Twitter, your work and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Tim Livingston. Um and, uh, I will be with the Stompers again this year. So StompersBaseball.com. Uh, and of course I will do the plugging even though it probably doesn't need to be plugged, but the only rules it has to work comes out in a month and myself and, and Theo, the general manager. And of course, Ben and Sam, uh, last year, very excited to see, uh, what this book, uh, what this book, uh, is received and how it, I should say how it's received and what everybody thinks of it. So, uh, Excited for that, and uh, yeah, just keep an eye out. I'll probably, I might do some stuff uh, regarding the Stompers for uh, the Banish to the Pen uh, once the book is either out or closer to it. So keep an eye out for that.
0: All right, and who wins, Shane O'Mac or
2: the Undertaker tonight? Taker, Taker takes it. So this, what's great about this, if the, the if it doesn't come out until afterwards, you can truly actually, you know, you know, say whether or not I was I was correct or not. So that should be fun.
1: Very cool, Julian. Same question to get out of here. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you can just find me on Twitter at Julian Asuline, Uh or else I'm regularly at BP Milwaukee, or and maybe somewhere else pretty soon. Ooh!
0: I'll, I'll, oh, look at Julian! <laughs> I'm telling you, anytime somebody comes on this show, they get a new gig. I'm telling you, this is uh, this is a uh, that's very intriguing. I like that uh, tease, as they call it <laughs> in the
1: business. I like that. Yeah. Uh,
0: Julian, I don't think you're a wrestling fan, but any opinion on the Shano Mac Undertaker match tonight?
1: <laughs> All right. So I've never heard who Shano Mac is, so I guess I'll go with the Undertaker, because I've heard his name before.
0: <laughs> I like that logic. I like that logic. Uh, I'm going ultra shenanigans, and I'm going to go with Shano uh, in this match tonight. All right. Ultra shenanigans. So uh, thank you guys so much for joining me this week. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm really excited for opening day, which is about to start in a couple of hours, so um, thank you guys for joining me. I can't wait to get Tim back on the show in a little bit to talk uh, Stompers and the book uh, once it comes out. And Julian, uh, just to have to have you back on, if that tease comes to fruition, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It was a
1: pleasure being on again, Ryan.
0: All right, guys. Have a great week, and thank you again for coming on. Thanks, Ryan. And that was episode 50. Man, I can't believe we've done 50 shows. But that was episode 50 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my guests, Tim Livingston and Julian Asseline, uh, two absolute just great baseball fans and uh, great writers, and we're very lucky to have them on the team. So thank you guys for joining me uh, early on a Sunday morning and just a few hours before opening day of 2016. Wow. Wow. Baseball's back. Thank goodness. Uh, Before we get out of here, I want to, as I do each week, uh, I really want to thank all the contributors, the writers, the technical support staff, everybody involved with Banish to the Pen. Uh, I'm really proud of the product that we put out each and every day, whether it's this podcast, the columns, or just everything that we've got going on in the site. We've got a lot of people working extraordinarily hard and a lot of talented people that are uh, really working hard on the site. So I just want to thank everybody. Your contributions are, are are noticed and appreciated, and and just it's tremendous the work that's being done on a daily basis that Banish to the Pens. So check it out. That's it for this week. Episode fifty is a wrap. And I remind you, be nice to your fellow listeners.